I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of Lyrics Born, who is my guest today on the program, let me tell you a little bit about Lyrics Born. Born in Tokyo, Japan, to a Jewish mother and a Japanese father, as a young boy, Lyrics Born found himself being raised in my hometown of Berkeley, California. He didn't know it was my hometown, but uh, there we were. Now, in this interview, he talks about the nuances of being a multiracial kid raised by a single parent in the 80s. So I'll let him break that down for you, and I'll skip ahead a bit. And when I say a bit, I mean about 20 years. While still in college, the aspiring rapper who was born Sutomu Shimura decided to work under the moniker Asia Born, which was a proud homage to his ethnicity. Not long after, he felt that moniker marginalized him a bit, so he changed his name to Lyrics Born. Now, speaking of college, Lyrics Born was an underground, undergraduate MC who was nurturing his hip-hop dreams in between classes at UC Davis. And it was at that campus's radio station, KDVS, where Lyrics Born became pals with other Bay Area hip-hop aspirants like DJ Shadow, Black Alicious, and Latif, the truth speaker. Literate, socially conscious, and brimming with urban philosophy and hip-hop poetics, the work of this crew was galvanized by the addition of author, hip-hop historian, and journalist Jeff Chang and MTV's Joseph Patel. Together, the collective founded the indie label Soul Sides. In 1997, Soul Sides released the collaborative lyrics-born Latif record, Latrix, the album. How did that go? Pretty well, thank you. It sold a staggering 100,000 copies worldwide. After the label underwent a few cosmetic and personnel changes, it reemerged in 2000 as Quantum Projects. To announce its new identity, Quantum put out a compilation called Spectrum. Lyrics Born Executive produced the record, and it sold 150,000 copies. It's a great compilation, but many felt that Lyrics Born's own track, I Changed My Mind, was the catalyst for its skyrocketing sales. Backing up that theory, when Lyrics Born finally put out his first solo album called Later That Day, it was a sensation. MTV was all over it, critics went nuts, and music from the album was everywhere. And by everywhere, I mean everywhere. Lyrics Born's music was in Diet Coke and Motorola commercials, ESPN, The Gilmore Girls, and even Michael Mann's movie Collateral, which starred Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. To support the record, Lyrics Born hit the road, and he toured Europe, Asia, South America, the U.S., and Canada. And his live show was something to behold. Fusing hip-hop with funk, soul, and alternative rock, Lyrics Born played gigs backed by a four-piece band that included his wife, singer Joyo Velarde. The versatility of the music found Lyrics Born reaching a wider audience and supporting bands like Franz Ferdinand, The Killers, and Modest Mouse. At this point in his career, it was undeniable. Lyrics Born had momentum. And, you know what they say about momentum, once you have it, it's, uh, 
momentous. I don't know. I don't have any famous sayings about momentum, so let's just say this. Whatever momentum is, Lyrics Born had it, and he wasn't going to let it go. Barely a year after his debut, Lyrics Born dropped his sophomore release. Yeah, I just said dropped. It was called Same Shit, Different Day, and not only was it the label's biggest seller, it had appearances by KRS-One, E-40, and Morchiba. The critics who went nuts for his debut also went nuts for this one, and songs from the record showed up in Entourage, EA Sports, and The Fast and the Furious 3, Tokyo Drift. A year later, Lyrics Born produced Pigeon John's new album as well as Velarde's debut. He played Coachella, Lollapalooza, Bonnaroo, and Australia's Good Vibrations Festival. To commemorate his tireless commitment to the road, he put out Lyrics Born Live, which many consider to be the best live hip-hop album ever made. But enough with the past. Let's talk about now. Lyrics Born is currently more of a creative force than ever. He's the first Asian-American to release a Greatest Hits album. He just appeared in Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. And he's in the upcoming Ali Wong, Keanu Reeves Netflix film, Always Be My Maybe. So yeah, he's busy. But Lyrics Born has always been busy. And he's never too busy to make a new record. His new one is called Quite a Life. Influenced by his love of New Orleans music, the record was actually recorded there, and it features Galactic, Kelly Finnegan from the Monophonics, and Dell the Funky Homo Sapien. Rippling with hip-hop grooves, 70s funk, and sheer street soul, Quite a Life is Lyrics Born's most personal record to date. Confronting his wife's cancer diagnosis, the cost of healthcare, and getting older, Quite a Life is a groovy and rousing manifesto about family, truth, and survival. Now, this is a really cool conversation about the life of an artist and the challenges that that career choice presents. And I'm not going to lie to you guys, it does get heavy. We talk about racism, spousal illness, and the cost of living. But we also talk about some other stuff, too, and there are some laughs. We even talk about at what age you should tell your kid that there's no Santa Claus. Lyrics Born thinks nine. I think 43. We agree to disagree. Enjoy this conversation. You know, two Berkeley guys chopping it up right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. You know, there were there were just some things that I sort of postponed for a long time, you know, like discussing uh, topically, you know, and then there were there were some other things that I just wanted to take further that maybe I had addressed in the past, but I just wanted to take further. Um, and um, musically, you know, I, I felt really comfortable still in that sort of New York, New Orleans funk through, you know, and that sort of, that, that retro soul groove, you know, I was still, I was still feeling like I had more to say there. Um, and, um, and that's where this album really, really came from. Why had you put off the discussion of the topics you mentioned? Was it because they were just too big uh, or is it because you just weren't ready to talk about them? Yeah, probably all of those things. You know, I mean, if we're talking about, like, Can't Lose My Joy, you know, uh, I don't know if you know the songs by title, but um, yeah. that, that's the one That's the one where I talk about uh, my wife, Joy Ovalarde, having cancer. You, you know, it was just, it's such a, a hard, ongoing subject you know that even even when you're in remission it's sorry that that cloud is always looming you know and it was it's something that we've been dealing with for you know since my first solo album you know so pretty much later that day came out you know uh, later that day my first solo album came out in 2004 and she was diagnosed shortly thereafter you know like 2000 late 2004 2005 and it's something that we've been dealing with for a long time, and we just we, we always kept it very private because it was it, it 
it requires so much emotional energy just to deal with, you know. And not only that, discussing this could really help people. You know, it could help people know, you know terminal illness is not always terminal, you know. And um, these things can be overcome and it uh, everybody deals with it. And I and just to to deal with it in this context was something that I hadn't heard on a record before. Having dealt with uh, cancer in my family as well, I find that even mm-hmm. the absence of cancer is the presence of it. And that's I always feel remission is something where uh, you still think of it as being there in some kind of weird way. Well, that's what I mean is even when it's in remission, that, that cloud is always still looming. Right. You know? And, um, it's, it's, you know, I, the, the song, the setting of the song is like 15, uh, about, well, yeah, about 14 years ago, 13 years ago now. Um, and it did come back what we were in remission for a long time and it did come back and you notice how, you know, when, when you talk about it as a family, you say we, because we deal with it, you know, obviously she deals, she deals with it firsthand, but you know, we deal with it as a family because it's something that we all have to kind of get our arms around, you know, and it's, it, it's made especially complicated when you're a touring artist, you know, on the brink of success. And, you know, you're, you're sort of, you find yourself in all these quandaries, especially when that person, your, your wife, who, who is the one that's diagnosed and dealing with it is part of the band and is with you on the road the entire time. I mean, I just remember, you know, here I am on stage at Coachella, you know, I'm probably one of the first independent rappers to ever be on that coveted stage. Definitely the first Asian American rapper to ever be on that stage. And the whole thing, I just know how hard we fought for that slot, you know, and I'm just sitting here. I'm like, God, we shouldn't even be here. We should be at home resting, you know, and, um, you know, th- those are the kind of things that you, you grapple with when you're in that position, you know, it's like, it's like I say in the song, you know, and I had a, you know, I had some, it was a huge album for me and, and you know, calling out was the number one song, you know, like I say in the song, it's like it's number one for six weeks at radio stations, but it's bittersweet because the chemo failed, you know, she'd just gone through four rounds of chemo and it didn't work, you know? So here you have all these really extreme highs that you worked your entire life for up until that point. And yet, you know, you still have this this demon that you're grappling with, you know. And it's it's like I said in the song, you know, life it doesn't give you an intermission during performance. You know, you just you just have to deal with it as best you can, you know. And um, you know, and I, maybe our situation was different just because of what we do for a living, but. You know, I, at this point, I don't know if I know anybody that hasn't grappled with cancer or some other terminal illness in their family, you know, that, that you know, it just sort of changes the way that you live your life, you know, for everybody involved. And, um, you know, but I think in music, we always present this facade like we're perfect and infallible and life is grand and, you know, just because we we're blessed to, to have careers that we enjoy, you know, I think a lot of times we put on this, there's always this veneer that we're, you know, everything is perfect. You know, it's like life is one big Instagram account, you know, what I mean? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is just not, you know, it's just not the case. I mean, you know, um, and so, I mean, you know, so that was one of the things that, that I dealt with, you know, and then the other thing that I felt compelled to, to share with people is just, you know, my journey, you know, 10 albums is a lot for, for any artist, you know, let alone a career independent artist, you know, and then, you know, at a certain point I took a look around and I, you know, and I was like, you know what? 
um, this journey has been particularly special for me, just being an Asian American, you know, in the entertainment business. I mean, there's just not a lot of us. There's definitely not a lot. Um, when I look to my left or my right, you know, and, or, you know, that, that's been privileged and fortunate enough to do the things that I've done, you know, and so I, I felt compelled to share that feeling and those challenges, you know, with whoever's listening, because I think that those things need to go on record. And on the subject of your wife's illness, I mean, I think this is where the conversation veers towards healthcare, you know, either the lack thereof or the affordability of it. Um, because it's not as though you're an accountant and, uh, you know, you work for a business that gives you benefits. No, not at all. Not at all. And um, especially when, you know, uh, you know, you're essentially self-employed, you know, you're essentially an independent contractor. When you're in my position or other artists' position, you're basically self-employed and you, you, you kind of, it's not to make it sound stark, but you're in a situation where you, you really do, you, you, you eat what you kill. You know what I mean? Right. And, um, and this is sort of an American quandary. You know, it's a sort of an American quandary because I just remember there was a point where, you know, I had health insurance for myself. I had health insurance for her. And then I had secondary doctors that I was going to, alternative medicine, all that stuff. You're paying full price out of pocket. Not true. I was literally fighting and arguing with doctors almost the entire time because a lot of them didn't like the a lot of them didn't like the concept of getting a second opinion you know a lot of them didn't like the concept of alternative medicine because it sort of challenges the, the bedrock of that entire industry you know what i mean but i didn't look at it that way we didn't look at it that way we just looked at it like look we have stage 4 cancer we're willing to look at anything, you know, that that may um, that may improve the situation. You know, we're not looking at it like I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I'm not trying to bruise anybody's ego. But hey, if there's other solutions and other options out there, I deserve to know about, them, and I will seek them out. You know, all all that comes at a price. You know, all yeah. that comes at a price. You know, and and um, thankfully it, it it's all it worked out. You know, but um, if if we were in a different um, culture and country and political atmosphere, I mean, most of that would have been covered. Most of that would have been covered. When they were didn't like you challenging them, did you find? that your suspicion of them was heightened, you know, like why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you support me looking for, you know, uh, a more, a more natural or uh, homeopathic or alternative uh, means right. of trying to heal my wife. Why would a, a doctor being opposed to that? Did that make you look at the healthcare system in a suspicious way? It, it did. You know, I think it did. And then I, you know, I, but, you know, I, when you say, when I say we looked at it holistically, I didn't, I didn't total, I mean, I never looked at it like, oh, whatever the doctor's telling me is nonsense. You know, it's BS. It doesn't work. It's, I don't trust it. It's, I don't, we never looked at it like that. We looked at it like, okay, that's one answer, you know, but is it the entire answer? And is it the answer? Is it the ultimate answer for what we need? You know, and the answer for us was no. You know, I mean, it, you make your own decisions as an adult, as a patient. You know, but um, you know, we had. I mean, fortunately, financially, you know, we were in a place where I could we could go out and do these things. You know, and and you got to understand, I'm an independent artist. You know. It's like, 
it, it's like I say in the in the song, you know, you know, we're blue car, we're blue collar artists. We got to keep touring to pay the mortgage. And you know, luckily, you know, we were doing well at that time. But you know, I didn't. I I certainly didn't come from wealth, and I certainly didn't marry into it. And I didn't have. You know, we weren't living off giant major label contracts. You weren't um, living off, off major label con- So in many ways, you had to, in addition to being a independent artist who's thinking about your creativity yeah. and your expression, you also had to sort of become your own uh, financial advocate. You had to sort of learn all yeah. these things that, that you know, right. that's a lot to sort of take on. It is. You know, it is. And at, at that time, though, it, it was like, it was just what was necessary, you know? And I think that, I don't know, I just sort of had to look at life and I've had to look at my career and my wife's illness and just really getting anywhere. Unfortunately, um, you know, I don't know if everybody feels this way, but maybe, maybe it's just the situation that I've been, but I, I suspect not, you know, it, really have to adopt kind of a whatever it takes attitude and you know you're 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 kind of a soldier at war you know and and I sort of feel like the the independent music business is really a microcosm for American life you know it's a much more distilled version of American life it's like I'm not guaranteed a hit record I'm not guaranteed that my next album this album any album is going to sell what the last one did and I think that increasingly that's become a more common theme just in American life, you know? And I think with a lot of the obstacles that I and other artists face, particularly independent artists face, um, you know, there's just a tremendous amount of uncertainty um, in the world, in our worlds, you know, from day to day and month to month. And, you know, you really have to have, tremendous resolve and, and belief in yourself um, if you want to thrive. Um, having said that, I wouldn't trade it for the world, you know, but it, it, it you know, it, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. You know? <laughs> no. And, um, you know, so as it relates to some of the other things on the album, I mean, it, it, you know, in that, in that regard, it's kind of like, you know, you, you sort of build this this, this thick skin, you know, and you sort of adopt the attitude, well, okay, that's what it takes, and that's what I have to do, you know? And um, it only becomes frustrating when things don't change as, as much as you would like, or as quickly as you would like, or if they don't change as quickly as, as you had to adapt, you know? So, um, yeah, but it's it's interesting, man. It's quite a life, man. You know, yeah, that's why I know. we almost call that. Well, you know? what's happened yeah. to you? Do you do you find that you you know like all soldiers get hardened in in war? Have you become? Yeah. What has it done to you personally? Have you become? I mean, I imagine that you can still laugh, but do you find that that there's a seriousness or a heaviness to you that you uh, didn't used to have? Well, um, yes and no. I mean, I'm aware of that. And I was aware of that the whole time. It's just like, don't, don't let the battle kill your spirit. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, so I, I, I always tried to make sure I preserved, you know, uh, my sense of humor, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, um, I, you know, it's like, I, it's like I say in the song, don't quit your daydream. You know, I, I still pursue it with that sense of newness, that sense of humor, that same exuberance. And I do. I really do. I really love what I do. You know, I, I wouldn't be able to do it this long if I didn't, you know, I mean, you can only have, you can only sort of fuel any kind of forward motion with sort of anger <laughs> or, or just sheer determination for so long. You really have to love it. I mean, it, it has to give you some sort of spiritual joy you know, in, in order to really continue. And it, it really does. I mean, I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like there's very few people. I'm 
you know, I'm going to talk a little shit here, but I, I feel like there's very few people in this world that can really do what I do, you know, and it's a tremendous privilege, you know, to, to, to be able to do that. And, um, I really do have this sort of, I mean, as you get more experience and as you make more albums and write more songs, you know, you have to, I feel like you have to seek out inspiration more. You, you really do have to, um, invest more time, um, into uh, finding inspiration, you know? It's funny. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm a father. I have an eight year old and everything's new to him. So he's just inspired every day, you know, because he's learning something new every day because he's, he's only got eight years of life under his belt. You know what I mean? And, um, so every day he learns something new and he, and he discovers something new. So he's just constantly, you know, when we say, you know, our inner child, it's just because we're children are, are in this sort of constant realm of discovery, you know? And um, obviously, as we get older, that that becomes more difficult, and it, it takes effort to to sort of to discover new things and feel inspired. And you know, I feel like as much as I I can, I do that. You know, because I really I, I just I love what I do. You know, I love what I do, and I and I think also I think it helps that I don't take myself that seriously. You know. Um, like I love being stupid and ridiculous and I think that that's kind of a I think that's helped me through a lot of really difficult situations you know and also you know seeing your kids see things for the first time like oh this is the first time he's seen snow this is the first time he's heard the Beatles does that does that do a thing to you where it can kind of reignite you on a on a just a sort of a on an emotional level? It really does. You know, it really does because, you know, we forget as adults, we forget what it's like to experience things for the first time, you know? And, um, I think I, I find myself living vicariously through him quite a bit, you know, just in terms of sharing that, that, that exuberance, of the first experience at anything, you know, like today I had to tell him that Santa Claus didn't exist, Oh God! you know, and that, <laughs> and that was just fucking heartbreaking for both of us, you know? And I said, I said, look, Tao, you know, he's, he's going into the third grade. I'm like, look, man, I got to tell you this, okay? Santa Claus doesn't exist. Okay. It's a fairy tale. Cause he's sitting here on YouTube looking at all these videos of Santa Claus sightings, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, how do you do that without killing his dreams? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and I was like, and then I took him to the, to the fireplace and I said, look, look up in there. How does a 300 pound man fit in this space? <laughs> and he goes to daddy who eats the cookies. I'm like, you're looking at him, you know? You're looking at the cookie eater. You know, he's like, well, then, Daddy, who gets me all the presents? I'm like, your mother and your father get you all the presents. You know, <laughs> and he cried. Yeah. And he cried. And and my my wife is with him all day today while I was working. And, I, you know, I called her. I'm like, how's he doing with the whole Santa Claus thing? You know? And she's like, I don't know. Let me ask him. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard her. She goes, hey, how you doing with the Santa Claus thing? And she goes, he, and I heard him in the back. He goes, better i guess you know <laughs> so you know you gotta these are big these, these are like big deal these are a big deal to to kids you know and i uh you know and he, he's just in this mode though where he's learning all these things and and i try to sort of put myself in his shoes whenever i can so that i can experience that joy and that wonder as well you know was there a part of you that was like, oh, maybe we'll do this next year? Well, what, the Santa Claus thing? Yeah. Well, I wanted him to know that before he went back to school so that he wasn't in school talking about Santa Claus and then the other kids just start throwing rocks at him. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, about yeah. it. He, figuratively, that is, you know. Right. Um, 
I just didn't want, you know, and I don't know. I kind of wanted to tell him last week, year because, you know, he kept talking about Santa this, Santa that. And it just it took everything and for me to not just sit there and be like, look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but his, but, you know, uh, my wife convinced me to, to let it ride for a little while longer because she loved it. She loved the fact that he sort of is, you know, in this childlike fantasy world, you know what I mean? And, and, or the fantasy world that is childhood, you know, because I think we all sort of, you know, at some point in our lives, you know, when you have children, you, you like I said, I mean, you, you, you put yourself in their position. And it's just an amazing place to be, you know what I mean? It's just so euphoric, but you know, at a certain, at a, at, you know, at, at a certain point, you, you have to hope that these new discoveries can can start to filter in and, and sort of the old the old notions that you grew up with can trail off. You know, oh, yeah. I think that's kind of where we where we were with that. Yeah, I uh, I'm Jewish, so I, I these are conversations we never had, uh, but I can right. certainly <laughs> I can yeah. certainly understand. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, I, speaking of that, I want to talk to you about race. I want to talk to you about how you uh, talk about race and what you talk about when you talk about it. Well, I just talk about it, you know, and I, I you know, I mean, it's, it's easy to talk about and it's difficult to talk about, you know, I think how easy I, I find that how easy or difficult it is to talk about it is it is de- honestly determined by who I'm talking about it with. You know what I mean? Right. Like if it's somebody that's really comfortable talking about it, then it's easy. You know, if it's somebody that um, is not comfortable talking about it, then it becomes incredibly difficult, you know? But but the hope is that over time people become more and more comfortable with it, you know, um, because it, it it's just it's it's who we are. It has to be discussed, you know, and it doesn't mean it has to be hostile. See that that's that's the part that is really unfortunate is because. You know, there's a lot of feelings around race and culture, and there's a lot of history there that's not pretty, you know, and there's a lot of um, emotion there. And so, you know, some people are ashamed of what's happened to them. Some people are ashamed of what's what they did, you know, and it's some people are are okay with it and some people are not you know and it's very complicated you know but but hopefully um over time and i think it is happening because it's inevitable it's just it's always in our face now and um i'm 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 hoping that over time people become more desensitized to the conversation you know, not to the actual sort of the ugly historic historical particularities. I don't want people to become desensitized to that, but I want people to become desensitized to the notion that it's uncomfortable to discuss, you know, because um, it's just necessary, you know, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, um, an uncivil conversation, you know, but there's a, there's a lot to, to unpack, you know, and I think that the more that we see ourselves publicly, um, when, when I see ourselves, I mean, like the entire human spectrum, if we see ourselves publicly, if you see me publicly doing my thing and, and talking about what I talk about and you see my achievements and my failures publicly, um, it it makes the conversation easier in a way because um, 
you know, we see each other as sort of multidimensional people, but also, you know, particularly for Asian Americans, um, you know, in the field that I'm in, and I, I can really only speak to that with firsthand experience, um, the entertainment business. I mean, we're just, we're just woefully absent in the public eye. And it's not, it's not for lack of trying, you know what I mean? Right. So I just, I just feel like, um, you know, as, as time goes on, you know, I, I never really, you know, I guess like most people of color, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm speaking very broadly. I think, you know, we all want it to be evaluated based on our merits, you know, and, and our contributions. And, um, and so I, 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 I guess probably, I mean, I always talked about it on my albums, but I don't think I, I really, um, I don't know if I ever made it a focal point. You know, because I, I, it was really important to me that people enjoyed the music and experienced the art from a, coming from a very pure place, you know. And um, but I think, you know, as I approached my 10th album, I was, 10th album, I was like, this shit isn't going away <laughs> as quickly as, as I would like. You know what I mean? Right. It's like I'm, I, I'm still here and I still kind of feel like I'm out here on an island to a certain extent. I mean, it is. It is right now, particularly though, I think we're in the midst of a renaissance, you know, and I think things are kind of growing in leaps and bounds when you look at the other artists out there and the movies that are out there and the actors and the comedians. And the, I'm only speaking about the entertainment business, by the way. You know, when you're, when you're looking at, um, you know, the movie that I just made with Ali Wong and Randall Park, you know, uh, Always Be My Maybe, or you're looking at, you know, Crazy Rich Asians, or you're looking at, you know, the success Ali and Randall have had in their careers, her stand-up career with Fresh Off the Boat, and, you know, you're starting to see, like, um, other Asian-American artists, you know, come into prominence, and, you know, we just saw Sandra Oh get nominated for an Emmy, and, you know, I mean, all these you know, me with whatever achievements I've made. And I think, you know, it, it's, um, I, I, I do feel like we are in the midst of a renaissance, but I think, you know, and, and, the, and the actors or the, 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 the players in that movement happen to be Asian American, but I think you, you really, we can't lose sight of the fact that as a society that you really have to look at this holistically as, this is this is American progress. Do you know what I mean? Right. Where, you know, you you really have to look at it like, okay, we exist as a, as a cultural group, as an ethnic group, we exist, and now we are starting to see presence that's nowhere near proportionate to our actual presence in society. You know, if, if you're to look at like. Um, a census or something like that. You know, we're certainly not 10% of the American entertainment business. You know what I mean? But we're making strides. And I think that we, we, I think if you really, to, to really view it in the proper context, you have to see it. You have to look at it as us making strides as a society that's becoming more inclusive and more representative of who we are in real life. Do you see what I mean? I do. And, and so, what's, what's interesting about that, though, is that there is a renaissance, and it's really exciting. But the thing that has changed yeah. politically from, say, your eighth album to your tenth, the climate now yeah. is so hostile. So it's it's remarkable, uh, you know, for both of us, for Jews, for Asians, for, for African Americans. Yeah. I mean, it's very hostile politically. But yet, artistically, it it's it's so. Yeah. You're totally right. Artistically, it's it seems like it is a renaissance. Yeah. How do you explain those two things? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm Jewish as well. My mother is Jewish, you know. So I come from a tradition where you know, from a I'm from a multicultural family, from a biracial family, and um, my father is Japanese, and so like I have this experience where you know I'm fortunate enough to grow up in a in a in a, in a, in a life that, you know, I just experienced so many points of view, you know, 
And if if you ask me, and, and so when I when I sort of look look at it through that lens, um, yes, politically it is very hostile. But I, I I don't believe that the those people that are in power at the moment are in the majority in terms of their debt. Well, if you look at the the numbers in terms of who elected the current president. It wasn't the majority of Americans, right. you know, and if you look at if you want to look at who his core base is, it's not the majority of Americans. You know, they happen to be in power now. So they have they're able to control the political narrative to an extent. But I just don't believe that this is who we are. I don't believe that this is representative of who we are as a nation in terms of numbers, you know? So I think that one of the beauties though, of this, you know, on the bright side, one of the beauties of living in this era is that, you know, we were probably on this project. I mean, culturally, um, uh, and artistically, we were probably on this trajectory anyway, but I think that this current political climate has galvanized us in such a way that it's become accelerated. Do, do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I just don't believe that the majority, I know it's not a fact that the majority of Americans support the extreme, you know, the KKK. Of course we don't. You know what I mean? Um, but they, it, sure, they feel more emboldened now. But I, I don't think that people, I just don't believe that the majority of Americans support that. You know, they may feel more emboldened right now. They may be showing themselves more. But I don't think that that's the norm, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and the number, and they, I mean, just... And that's not just my opinion. That's numbers. You know, we just don't support that. You know, I mean, you can't. I, I just I think it's important to 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 keep in perspective that um, the current administration, their base is not representative of the entire United States population. You know, I don't believe that. When I get my check, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to buy a real prehistoric stegosaurus skeleton and put it right in my living room as a centerpiece and bottle for everyone. My homeless homeboys and celebrities serve medical edibles, bottles of Moscato, octopus, tentacles, and American cheese. About to open LBs, exotic petting zoo, Betty Boop, watering tropical flowers in a kitty suit, panthers and bangles, leopards and pterodactyls, a flock of neon peacocks, my spirit animal, 20 pair of leather pants in every color imaginable, matching feather hats because I'm so fashionable, pay for my own presidential campaign janice james brown jimmy hendrix can't play we'll go skinny dipping in a lake of champagne anything can happen baby when i get paid I'm going on a world cruise on a boat made of pearl juice full of whirlpools and a thousand inch flat screen to watch the world lose and a personal chef to cook up all the morsels. Buy a quip out in Bali, grow fish next to a molly plant where I get to frolic in the sun, drinking cognac. The world is my oyster life, stories like an almanac. 50 rolls, horses just to floss on your Pontiac. Exotic ass women want to holler, yelling, holler back. Show them to my bit, but never show them where my wallet's at. Got him that dude coming through wearing baller ass suits, unavailable to you because they're not as extravagant as me. And G's on my breakfast, hundred Thou on a night on a town living reckless. I would love to sit and talk, but I got a corner to with important people about some important things that don't concern
my check, I'll pay my family's debt. I mean, every last one of them heavy cash. So none of them can say that I was cheap. But frugal money so deep that Google keeps my rest off the GPS. I would discreetly test at the base of Mount Fuji. Where volcanic magma heats my jacuzzi to keep my security foolproof. Mutated silver by killer gorillas in full suits and moon boots. My bathtub would be a large round pool. My martial arts instructor would be Raj Al Ghul. My doorbell would ring like a large cow's boo. With the sound engineer to make it all sound cool. Private satellites are internet hotspots. Sir, and water wall carpet made from real socks, squash fur. <laughs> yes, I hold the upper echelon spot when I get paid. I'm smoking gold from a leprechaun's pot. That's true. Money, money. You know, I had to learn on the job the hard way that um, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me in my field, my occupation. Um, I had very little cultural leverage in any industry. I mean, in any record label that I walked into or any distributor or publicist or anything. You know what I mean? Um, I had, I really didn't have, in terms of somebody who who really looked like me and his last name ended in a vowel and was Asian American, I really didn't have any footsteps to follow in in terms of like, okay, this is how you do it. These are going to be your obstacles. Here's your roadmap. You know, I really didn't have that. I just sort of had to piece together um, the way to go just by sort of coming up with this, you know, collage and sort of macrame of all these other, you know, success stories that I could piece together and sort of create a more general roadmap. But culturally, that was, it was not specific, you know what I mean, to me. And, and so, and I, I just remember seeing as, as a kid, I remember when Spike Lee was, was first coming out, you know, like do the right thing and all these other things. And, um, I've since learned this, you know, I've since heard this so many, um, so many other times from, uh, you know, from my African American and my black friends, you know, like I remember Spike Lee saying his father sat him down one day and he's like, look, you know, just kind of imparting certain survival skills, you know, that like, look, you're going to get blamed for a lot of things you didn't do. Um, you're going to get vilified in certain, certain situations. You're going to have to work 10 times harder than your peers, you know, um, to get what you want. You're in just sort of like this laundry list of all these things that these extras that are kind of, that are, that, are sort of hoisted on you when you're in the minority. Do you know what I mean? And when you're historically, when you're seen a certain way, you know, and, um, you know, like I said, I grew up with, you know, my parents were divorced. My father stayed in Japan. I was raised for the most part by a single white woman, you know, who had no idea about any of these things. You know, it's not her fault. You know, she just did it, you know? And so I learned all those things that Spike Lee's father taught him on the job you know what i mean and so you know fast forward one generation later here i have my son and i'm gonna have to tell him these things you know it was the craziest thing to me there was we were at the oakland museum and it, you know they had this um exhibit on japanese internment you know and i for the life of me i could not come up with a great explanation as to why it happened you know what I mean? And he was like, Daddy, what do you mean that that they were taken from their homes and their homes were confiscated and they were basically put in prison and internment camps? Why? And I said, well, they were Japanese, American. And he was like, why is that against the law? <laughs> you know, it was like, it was like, you, do you know what I mean? It was like all these whys that I just couldn't really explain because... There is no explanation other than racism, you know, and we have the, you know, also, like I said, I mean, my mother's Jewish. We had the same conversation about the Holocaust, you know what I mean? And this is heavy for, I think he was probably six or seven at the time, you know what I mean? And, um, 
you know, there's, there's no real, there's no real explanation that makes complete logical sense. Well, except hatred. That's it. That's it. I mean, there's no, you can't really justify it any other way, you know, because, uh, and so those were some really difficult conversations, you know, to have with him. And, and I think that, um, you know, I think the thing that the discussion that I had to have with him was like, look, despite all these obstacles that you may face in your life, you're in a very fortunate position because you know from this day forward that all of that is bullshit. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm able to impart upon you some of these survival skills that unfortunately you will have to use, you know, that your peers won't, you know? And, um, I didn't quite say it like that, but I said it in a way that hopefully an eight year old would begin to understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, it's kind of like talking astrophysics to a wino, you know, at a certain <laughs> point, you know what I mean? But you know what I mean? But it's like, you you, I have to, I have to try. You know, and these are very uncomfortable conversations, but, you know, they, they have to be had, you know, and it's like, like I said, for me, I had to learn a lot of that shit on the job. Like if I, if I would have known that, okay, you're going to have to work 10 years longer and 10 times harder to achieve the same results in your career, you know, as your peers, uh, it would have been nice for me to know that ahead of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, you know, we all, you only know what you know, you know, so. Well, I mean, I, I think it's funny that you had the Holocaust talk before the Santa Claus talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know the order. I don't know the yeah. best way to do it. I just think it's kind of funny yes. uh, that that, that right. happened, you know. Um, but you know, yeah. growing up in Berkeley, uh, I mean, you and I both are mm-hmm. from here. Uh, I, I don't know if you still yeah. live in Berkeley, but you know, at least it I was do. A, okay, I do. good. Yeah. I mean, at least it was a progressive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, environment because I mean, it's just so, uh, you know, politically aware, uh, civic minded, racially sensitive, not that those things, you know, are perfect, but if you're going to, you know, going to yeah. grow up anywhere, uh, that's a really yeah. good place for, for a mixed race kid. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it was in a lot of ways it was. And I mean, I, I feel like, you know, the reason that's one of the reasons why I love New Orleans so much is because you have New Orleans and then you have Louisiana, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And you have, you have the Bay area specifically in my case, Berkeley. And then you have California you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're very, they're very, they're two very different places. And I, I just, I'm very fortunate that I was able to grow up in such a progressive place. And, um, and, um, y- you know, I just remember growing up, it's like most of my, almost all my, I'd say probably two thirds of the kids that I grew up with were biracial. You know, just because that's how Berkeley was at that time. And I think of that two thirds, probably a third were half Jewish like I was. You know what I mean? And um, so I grew up what what probably what broader American society considers fringe or considers alternative. I grew up as that being the norm for us culturally. You know what I mean? And um um, I'm, I'm very fortunate about that. It did have its dark side, though. I mean, even having said that, you know, I probably caught, got called in, in Berkeley, California. I probably got called Jap, Chink, Ook, uh, Nip every day, at least once a day for Ugh. 15 years. You know, and that's in Berkeley, California, probably the most liberal city in America, definitely at that time, you know what I mean? But even Berkeley can't escape um, some of America's cultural bad habits, you know what I mean? Especially at that time. 
and I don't know if it's like that now, but even at that time. Um, having said that, though, I can only imagine what it was like growing up looking like me somewhere else. You, you know what I mean? Well, I just can't even imagine. So yeah, I mean, I yeah. mean, you say you say somewhere else. I mean, what about even if you were in Reading? You know, I mean, that's uh, yeah, that's still California, right. a couple hours away. I mean, what about Citrus Heights? I mean, I'm not saying these are racist oh places, God. but I'm saying there's a you know that, that's not Berkeley. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you you know what was funny it was when I I didn't I I had and this is neither okay. I'm not I'm not being judgy. I'm not you know, but. I had never even met a Republican until I went to college. <laughs> yeah. That just wasn't, that wasn't the reality of where I grew up. And I'm, listen, I have Republicans in my family now. I have, I have people that voted for Donald Trump in my family, and I still love them, you know, but that wasn't my reality growing up. You know, that wasn't the people that I was around. When I was growing up, you know, I got introduced, I went over to a friend's house and I got introduced to both his moms. You know, uh. I'm like, well, where's dad? You know what I mean? Oh, my dad's somewhere else. These are my moms. You know, I grew up with, you know, going over to a friend's house and looking at black and white photos on the mantle of, you know, everybody dressed in black blazers with black berets holding automatic weapons with a black fist in the air. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, because I had friends whose parents were in the Black Panthers. I grew up, you know, um, uh, with, you, you know, uh, every kind of mixture that you can think. I mean, you, you know, my, my, I just, I remember sort of at, at the age of seven or eight being on Telegraph Avenue, nine years old, involved in anti-apartheid protests, you know, as an eight-year-old. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was sort of the, the cult, that was the cultural context that I grew up in, you know. And when I finally got to college, I went to UC Davis, and when I got to college, a friend of mine that was from Berkeley uh, we were both up there at the same time as freshmen. And um, <laughs> I just remember saying to myself, man, these people are fucking weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, he, and he goes, look, I hate to break it to you. It's not them. It's us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, be, because the, that's what my reality was, you know, and and I, I did, it wasn't until later after college when I really started, you know, like going on like touring all the time. And I and I started to see that, yeah, he's right. He was fucking right. You know, I mean, we would come we play certain cities um, in America where the only two Asians in the entire city were the ones on stage that people came to pay to come see rap. You know, and, um, you know, I mean, it's a very sort of layered thing to say, you know, because, you know, on the one hand, it just shows you that the the world is not the Bay Area. The world is not the coasts. Um, but people didn't give a shit on a certain level. It was about the music. They wanted to, they, they loved the art that was being made. They didn't care. You know what I mean? Or maybe that made it even better. Um, when you're playing that, you know, bowling alley in Oklahoma, (laughs) you know, whatever it is, you you know what I'm saying? Like it was, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, I mean, it's like, I, I suspect that for the past two plus decades that I've been doing this, I mean, I, I, maybe some of the people that heard my records and come see me play were the, were the first time that people had ever seen an Asian American with a mic in their hand commanding a crowd. Do you, do you know what I mean? Or in a, in a sort of, in a, in a, in, in a position of sort of, of artistic presentation. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't, I take that very seriously. You know, I'm very proud to, to have occupied that space. You know, um, there needs to be more of us, you know, but, but, um, uh, it's just, it, it's, I, I've lived it a very charmed life, you know, despite all the, all, even with all the difficulty, I mean, it's, it, I, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, you know? Do you, uh, you and I are the same age. I'm two years older. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, I wonder, do you think about, 
an exit strategy? Or do you think like, I mean, you know, do you think I'll do this till, you know, they pry the mic from my hand or how do, how do you, do you visualize? Because as we're getting older and time seems finite, it doesn't seem endless the way it used to. Um, right. How do you visualize the next stage of your career and, and how, what does that look like to you? Um, I will do this for as long as I'm either physically able or no longer spiritually satisfied by, you know, and at some point, one or both of those will, things will happen, you know, um, but people don't quit this shit, man. You know, they may take longer breaks. You know, they may lay out for a while. They may not make albums every 18 months like I have been for the past two decades, you know. But people don't quit this shit, you know. Um, and, I mean, obviously I'm doing other things. I mean, I've expanded my repertoire. You know, like, I'm, I'm obviously I'm doing movies now, and, I'm, you know, I'm in... Uh, doing more acting and so forth. And I imagine that will continue and that will expand, but um, I, I will do it till the wheels fall off. You know, I mean, I, I think I heard too short say his goal was to be the world's oldest rapper. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like I, I, that was so poignant to me. As we get older in this business, it's like, you know, we, we, we're sort of grabbing for, you know, new milestones, you know what I mean? Reaching for new milestones. And it's like, we're, but we don't always know what it's going to, what it's supposed to be. You know, like when I was younger, it's like, okay, I want to make 10 albums. Well, I've done that now. You know what I mean? When, the, when I was younger, it's like, okay, I want to play Lollapalooza. I want to play Coachella. I want to play, you know, um, Bonnaroo, I want to play, uh, God, what's the one in, 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 in London? Oh, two. I want to, you know, and I've, I've done that now, you know? Um, so when you, like I said, I mean, as you get older, you look, you look deeper for inspiration. You look harder for inspiration. You also look harder for milestones. And I thought that that was so poignant for him to say that, you know, because, you know, um, that that really that fired me up you know what i mean that really fired me up because i don't see you know here we are on the the day that aretha franklin passed you know and you know towards the end of her career maybe she wasn't making platinum albums anymore maybe she wasn't making public appearances as more as much as she used to but she never stopped being a singer professional singer she never stops being an artist you know and um like i said i mean i I'll, I'll keep going until i'm no longer physically able or i no longer have a spiritual connection to the work you know truth and soul from lyrics born Great guy, great chat. If you want to order Quite a Life or find out when Lyrics Born is coming to your town, check out lyricsborn.com. Uh, if you want to buy my latest album or uh, find out when I'm coming to your town, go to alexgreenonline.com. And, uh, and all the information you need about me can be found there. Now, if you're on iTunes, please subscribe to Bombshell Radio. Subscribe to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Leave us a review. Uh, I don't know. Leave us some stars. Leave us something uh, hot and edible. We'd appreciate it. Uh, if there's someone you want me to interview that I have not interviewed yet, who do you want me to chase down with my microphone and my enthusiasm? Uh, I will find them. Just uh, let me know who it is, and I will make their life miserable until they talk to me. Yeah, I'm that committed to the craft. I will crouch outside windows I will uh, I will harass people in restaurants. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying this. None of this is true. I will just ask politely, uh, will you talk to me? And they'll say no. And if you don't get out of the bushes here in front of our house, we are uh, calling the police. 
uh, email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com or on Twitter at EmbersEditor or follow us on Instagram, Embers Podcast. Uh, there's many ways to get a hold of me. There's three of them. I can give you three more, but then it'll just feel like homework. Uh, all right. I will see you next week for another episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast. Let's finish things up with another track from Lyrics Born's Quite a Life record. This is Don't Quit Your Daydream. Enjoy it right here, and I'll see you next week on Stereo Embers, the podcast. First major kid to make a greatest hits in the history of American music. Ain't that some shit? That goes beyond just entertainment and amusement. Every song I write has historical significance. Something that's lost on these cultural critics. Where you been? I've been Jeremy Lin. All these years I've been here ever since. Don't get the calls, don't get the minutes. But the game is way better with LB in it. All that is worse getting expensive. Well, at your base called Asian American Expresses. Look at the boys swinging for the fences. Cold with the words. He writes with mittens. sense of newness, that sense of humor, that same exuberance. I saw myself and it came into me. I gotta be honest, I just call it like I dream it. I ain't leaving that success. I ain't in your top ten, that's a lack of respect. It ain't my fault, majors don't sign Asians. It is my fault, we now in the conversation. Thanks for an invite to a seat at the table. You shouldn't have, in fact, you did it. But it's too late now, I'm already available. Guess who's coming to Din Din? I brought my own bed to my own utensils, my own throne, cause I don't sit on benches. So even if y'all don't wanna hear me Sit there and watch me eat I say I do what history requires of me. I take zero for granted, even when I make your heroes look average. Oh, I hear these dudes throw tantrums. There ain't enough room for more Grammys in my bathroom. Meanwhile, I'm here album after album, waiting for an Asian to win one statue. So poetic, so photogenic, wrap circles around these so-called legends. I'm from the bank, we invented both. If it needs to be said, voice, go get smoked.